The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. You want to talk about out-of-touch media? You want to talk about the mainstream media that's lost in its own bubble, that's too busy being up the rectum of Joe Biden, so much so that they're playing with his wrinkly taint? Do you want to know what it looks like or what it sounds like to be affiliated with a propaganda machine? This article sums it up from the New York Times. Colonial Pipeline, a vital U.S. fuel artery that was shut down by a cyber attack, said it hoped to restore most operations by the end of the week. Since the shutdown, there have been no long lines or major price hikes for gas. Here's what to know. Complete and utter BS! Because every gas station I've driven by this afternoon is either empty or a line is going out to the streets. In fact, the area that we live in narrows down to two-lane roads. And at the foot of those two-lane roads, as the four-lane roads bottleneck down to two-lane roads, are gas stations heavily sought after. Guess who can't get in and out of neighborhoods? Guess who can't travel down the two-lane roads because they're bustling with cars in long lines? I mean, in Asheville, North Carolina, it's like that. I'm in Virginia. Asheville, North Carolina. So, so have you been to Asheville, North Carolina? Past five gas stations on my way to the office. It's a five-minute drive. None of them have gas. Mike Pompeo said, the Colonial Pipeline outage demonstrates how susceptible our cybersecurity and infrastructure systems can be if left unsecured. We need more energy infrastructure, not less, to defend and protect our country from economic ransomware attacks. Defense must be a top priority. Of course. And he is 100% correct. Because basically, to give you the nuts and bolts of what happened, the Colonial Pipeline was attacked by a cyber attack and basically they shut it down using ransomware and in the process the private company that owns it would have to find a way to eliminate the ransomware and i don't know what kind of cybersecurity team they have but they're having a hard time doing that so now everybody's out of gas and uh there's gas shortages everywhere the only gas place that I've seen that actually had gas, but the lines were so long, you would have been sitting in there for multiple hours, had an actual tanker truck filling up the pumps. But the neighboring gas stations, all empty. It was 1979 all over again. Jimmy Carter years. We're going to have to figure out which license plates begin with certain letters, and you can buy gas on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the rest of you can buy it Thursday, Tuesday, uh, you can buy maybe on Saturday. I don't know if they're going to be open on Sunday. This is America. This is what we're dealing with. Now, Joe Biden, 
you know, his policies made this even extra harsh because situations like Biden suspends Trump's bulk power system executive order for 90 days. Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's January 20th executive order noted that Secretary of Energy and Director of the Office of Management and Budget are jointly to consider whether to recommend a replacement for an order that can be issued. You also had the, uh, the elimination of the Keystone Pipeline. That pipeline transported tons of fuel and, you know, Biden canceled it. Then he rejoins the Paris Climate Agreement which we were outdoing. We were outperforming the Paris Climate Accords without even being in them. But everybody's out of gas. And it's going to soon turn into Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Soon it's going to be Road Warrior. We are going to have tanker truck convoys of gas with a guy with a mask, a metal mask, not a mask like a surgical coronavirus mask. He's going to wear a metal mask He's going to look like the cover of a Quiet Riot album throwing his boomerang around while he tries to get through downtown Atlanta while everybody's clamoring for gas. In Biden's America, the America that can't have a surplus of gas, although I know a lot of the gas supply was replenished by Trump on his way out when everything was shut down due to lockdowns in 2020. Suddenly, no one was buying gas. Suddenly, the price of gas hit the floor. Suddenly, the surplus was being bought up by the U.S. government. Now, I'm not sure where that supply is going, but we can sure as hell use it now. 17 different states calling for a uh, national emergency, declaration of emergency, because of the fact that there's no gas. And we're supposed to act like Democrat policies didn't have a hand in this. I mean, it's, it's maddening, to be honest, because the fact that we're even dealing with something like this in this station, in this, in this nation is really, <laughs> it's, it's maddening because we thrive off of capitalism and capitalism, you know, the, the refinery of oil into fuel, fuel being the driver of freedom. You know, they want us to take light rail everywhere. They want us to drive these lithium-powered battery electric cars to which the battery dies over a course of a few years or becomes useless or declines, and suddenly it's really expensive to fix. And not only that, to dispose of it is very unenvironmental. It's, it's very toxic to the environment, to dispose of these items, but nah, we got to make it out to be the problem is uh, fossil fuels. In fact, somebody said, I actually heard a liberal say high prices won't affect me on gasoline because I only use Uber to get around. You moron, your Uber price is going to go up <laughs> if you can get an Uber. Guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be using Pete Buttigieg's Secretary of Transportation uh, model, you know, biking around like you're a freaking Mormon out to knock on doors like you're a Jehovah's Witness in your suit and tie, carrying your books in one arm, riding on your little bike, biking into work, getting there hours late. Maybe you can take public transport at that point because everyone else is going to be walking. 
the fact that they do not see the forest for the trees is the most maddening part of all this. But yeah, so far, every gas station completely empty. And I know that this is going to drive some people to a breaking point. And I hate to be that way, but that's where it's heading. Because where I'm out here spouting about it, and I can get mad about it because I understand it's the policies of these organizations, these, these bureaucracies, and the fact that we implanted a president, we installed an idiot president and a regime by the deep state that could not allow a strong America to exist, that could not um, allow a strong economy to exist, the fact that we had to install a puppet who is completely out to lunch and he passes policies that he wants to raise capital gains taxes to 46%, attacking capital, attacking the resources for the creation of business, the expansion of business, the fact that people want to invest money to where other people can access the capital and create businesses which create jobs, the fact that you want to increase the income tax on individuals because they're, you know only the 400,000 or more are going to get hit with taxes and those people can now have well those people will now have to hoard their money and foresee, you know, plan out with their tax accountants what kind of tax liability that they're going to forecast in the future and roll that into the price of their businesses, roll that into the price of their goods and services. Uh, maybe they're not going to give raises out. Maybe they're going to cut back on hiring and make those people work extra hours. And all of that, it's going to come down to the fact that the policies this administration stuck us with is now coming home to roost. So these are the things we have to look at. And we are going to become Venezuela real quick. Alicia Devine. She's actually with uh, a Tallahassee Democrat. She's got a video that said, I visited five gas stations this morning, and the Costco one is the first to have gas. The line is insane. And you should see this line. And it is insane. But this is what happens when you implement policies of the left. Gas is the new toilet paper. And guess what? This is what's going to happen God is lifting the veil. He does this every once in a while. He did this with the pandemic. He did this with the economic collapse in 2008. Back when everybody was riding high and, and people were taking advantage of it. No one was giving thanks to God. They were, not, they were not being humble in their blessings. They were being extra materialistic. They were being more boisterous with their finances. So we were having sweet 16 parties that were costing $300,000 a pop. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that if you had the money to do it. But a lot of these people were stretching themselves thin thinking tomorrow was going to be there. And guess what? Boom, the bottom drops. Suddenly you're underwater in your mortgage. This happened with coronavirus. Suddenly everybody was scared for their lives because they thought, oh my gosh, this, this virus might kill me. There was no trust in the Lord. There was no trust in a higher power. It was trust the science that got it wrong every single freaking time. So now the camel's nose is being put under the tent again, and God's lifting the veil back a, a bit and going, oh, you like your green energy, huh? You want 
these policies that implement your control upon other people who weren't signing up for this control method, you want to force your will upon everyone else, guess what? I'm going to show you what happens when you eliminate fossil fuels. And within a day, chaos everywhere. Gas is out. People are running out of gas. People don't realize everybody that uses gas, truckers, landscapers. I mean, you go down the supply chain. It's the mess that this is going to snowball into is going to be insane. And it's going to be a hard lesson, but it's going to be a lesson that we're going to have to learn. It's a lesson that Venezuela learned. And in fact, on the other side of this break, I'm going to get in to a Reuters article that was shared with me that I thought was really interesting about Venezuela, about the fact that Venezuela sits upon a gold mine of oil reserves. And guess what? Because of the fact that Hugo Chavez nationalized it, and when gas prices, when the price of oil was really low back during the George W. Bush era, suddenly they were making bank, but they didn't use it to bolster their infrastructure on oil refinery. They didn't use it to put back into their investments. They were using it to prop up their communist regime like they do with the Potomkin villages in Russia in the, uh, right after the Bolshevik Revolution where they built these beautiful mansions and beautiful meccas and metropolises with different restaurants and fine dining and great lodging and doing all this stuff to make themselves look like they're so successful. And it was all propped up off of BS. That's what Venezuela did. And then when the price of oil shot through the roof, boom, everything fell apart. Suddenly they've got inflation going out the wazoo. And now Maduro is looking to team up with private industry to fix the problem. Imagine that. So on the other side of the break, we're going to get into this Reuters article, and it'll give you a yin and yang as to how capitalism and private sector uh, policies actually work and actually would solve some of these situations. If we had more private oil companies and more Keystone Pipelines and less government control, you know, government's talking about, well, we're going to roll back for just a brief period some of the green energy laws that slow down the production of, of refined gasoline and what have you. Well, why are they having to roll it back? Because if you roll it back, it gets made quicker. And these companies aren't just going to go out and destroy the environment because they need to make their money. They're going to be mindful of the externalities because they can either harness it to make more money or they understand their resources are going to be like gold to them and they need to be good stewards of their resources. So we're going to get into how capitalism uh, always has the fix and socialism is what brings us the wreckage. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. Are impacted the most. And so those are the areas that we have the greatest concerns with. And because of the, um, the fact that there's not a whole lot of other supply. Now, this particular pipeline also supplies other states, but there are other pipelines that supply other states as well, so there's more diversity. In this particular region, that's where we're going to see the crunch. Um, and this is why we, are, we know that we 
have gasoline, we just have to get it to the right places. And that's why these next couple of days, I think, will be challenging. And we want to encourage people. It's not that we have a gasoline shortage. It's that we have this supply crunch and that things will be back to normal soon and that we're asking people not to hoard. We have diverse pipelines. We don't have pipelines that are indigenous like the Dakota pipeline or the Keystone XL pipeline. We had to eliminate those pipelines because of cultural appropriation, but we have pipelines and uh, please don't hoard the gas, okay? Don't hoard the fuel. Don't put fuel in your tanks. Whatever you're driving on, you're kind of stuck with because if not, it's going to be considered panic buying. That's your energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm. Yeah, brilliant mind right there. They, the Biden administration has such brilliant minds littered throughout. I mean, again, you eliminated the Keystone Pipeline with a stroke of a pen with an executive order. You've eliminated the, <laughs> the Dakota Pipeline with your indigenous people out there marching and protesting and trashing the place and leaving it with garbage all over, uh, which isn't environmentally sound. But those are your diverse options that no longer exist. So now the strain is whether or not we ship oil from Europe, which we've been doing, or we go off the pipelines that we have remaining, which as of now, we're starting to hear that the uh, colonial pipeline is starting to come back online but we're going to be down for quite some time, quite a few days. I, I'm hearing Saturday is supposedly the day that things are supposed to come back. But you know what? <clears throat> Don't panic. Don't go out and panic buy. You know what happens when the resources you've relied upon, they were always available to you? They're suddenly diminished or eliminated. What happens then? When those who are low on resources, you got to scramble to replenish supplies, what happens? If 2020 taught us anything, Lysol wipes and Charmin toilet paper are not always going to be abundant throughout the land of milk and honey. So it seems uh, this is the case with the lifeblood of liberty, which is gasoline and oil. A simple hack on our eastern seaboard's gas pipeline supply chain, which has basically gripped much of the southeastern portions of the United States, puts us into a fuel freeze, and we're told, don't go out and panic buy. I mean, with supply dwindling, the outcry of blame started to grow. Unfortunately, it was directed at all the wrong individuals who were the most likely not affected by all this chaos. Those out there castigating and chastising those who were filling up their tanks were in areas where they have gas. I think D.C. had 7% of its what gas stations closed Washington DC not too far from us here in Virginia that had 44% of our stations closed and out of gas not to mention just south of us North Carolina had 71% closed but you know those saying don't panic buy you know those accusing of people of panic buying uh, they didn't have this problem and they tossed around the condemnation of panic buying uh to those who are simply reacting to when resources began to fizzle out. It was not simple panic buying that was the culprit to this explosion of demand. I mean, yeah, there were some who decided to get gas canisters to back up on hand, but 
Often, it was simply just people not being prepared for the crisis that was looming, which led to a scramble and a run on the pumps. This isn't exactly a bad thing because it shouldn't be abnormal to just drive around thinking maybe the tanks will have some. It should be normal uh, to just consider that resources are going to be replenished. It should be abnormal to have a backup container in your garage topped off with gasoline, multiple containers that, you know, gasoline expires over a certain period of time. So yeah, it's smart to have some on hand, but don't think you can just back it up and store it for a couple of years. That's not how it works. Um, you know, refined fuel has a short shelf life, so it can expire before being utilized with the next shortage. But what is panic buying is something that didn't happen in this situation. And I've been through panic buying. You know, when you have eight miles until you run out of gas and you're waiting 45 minutes to get into a gas station that might completely run out, while the news media is telling you there's no gas shortage happening, um, it's called, I just need gas. I mean, technically it would be panic buying if you're about to be stranded as you run out of gas. Panic buying is when you drain the gas stations days before a hurricane when you don't even need to load up. The first wind change hasn't happened from the hurricane coming out to out in sea to hit the coast. And what are you doing? You're, you're draining the gas pumps. That's panic buying. And in those situations of buying up resources before a hurricane hits, that's panic buying. You don't wait around to alleviate hyper demand. I mean, you get in your car and you wait in line to fill up your tank if you're low. You take measures to make it happen. If you were to multiply that phenomenon of people driving around on low tanks of gas by the multitude of people in similar situations, you can surmise that this isn't a simple act of panic buying. All these pearl-clutching armchair quarterbacks out there who are saying, well, if you didn't panic buy, there wouldn't be a shortage are not taking certain factors into account. Some have equivocated, like I said earlier, to living through a hurricane. Um, but, you know, in this scenario, it's like going to the grocery store when the hurricane's on its way. Everybody's buying milk. Everybody's buying toilet paper. Everybody's buying water. Milk, water, toilet paper, all gone from the shelves. And, of course, nothing has happened yet. I mean, if anything, we naively assumed that the gas supply was always going to be maintained and be available to us. So as a result... We just all drove around with our cars on E. We naturally assumed we'd be able to just pull into a gas station and fill up without the threat of limited resources, but any supply chain disruption is going to cause this reaction. Having protection measures against hacking of vital industries like watching out for hacking of foreign governments or foreign actors, terrorist act actors or what have you, as well as keeping energy options available like multiple pipelines, Dakota Pipeline, Keystone XL. That's key. I mean, if when you eliminate vital options under the guise of protecting the planet for a 1% increase in climate temperatures over the next 100 years, that's a short-sighted overreaction. Discontinuing critical options such as the Keystone XL pipeline by executive order because of some uncorroborated impact on the climate of the earth, that has more of an impact on our gas supply than flooding a gas station to top off tanks because we're all driving around on fumes. And it doesn't help when we decide we're going to target other pipelines. This from the D Detroit Free Press. 
in Michigan. Enbridge continues Straits Pipeline operation defying Governor Whitmer's deadline. In defiance of an order by Governor Gretchen Whitmer, she's a great one. I mean, she's the coronavirus tyrant. The, in a defiance of the order to cease operations, uh, the Canadian oil transport giant Enbridge continued to flow 23 million gallons of crude oil and natural gas through liquids through Line 5, a controversial 68-year-old twin pipeline on the Strait of uh, Mackinac Lake Bottom. Whitmer uh, said in a letter to Vern U. Einbergs, or Einbridge, Executive Vice President for Liquid Pipelines, uh, continued the operation of the line after she said it constitutes an intentional trespass and that the company would do so at its own risk. Quote, if the state uh, prevails in the underlying litigation, Enbridge will face the prospect of having to disorg to the state all profits it derives from its wrongful use of the easement of lands following that date, Whitmer said. So Whitmer's going to attack a, a, a Canadian oil company in the process. But then we have to look at it like, all right, while we're sitting there crippling our own oil resources, was it a Russian organization that hacked or was it China from the Christian Science Monitor? U.S. oil industry hit by cyber attacks. Was China involved? Hmm. At least three U.S. oil companies were targeted in a series of previously undisclosed cyber attacks that may have originated in China. And that experts say highlight a new level of sophistication in the global war of Internet espionage. The oil industry and gas industry breaches, the mere existence of which has been closely guarded secrets of oil companies and federal authorities, were focused on one of the crown jewels of the industry, valuable bid data, detailing the quantity, value, and location of oil discoveries worldwide. The companies, Marathon Oil, ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, didn't realize the full extent of the attacks, which occurred in 2008, until the FBI alerted them that year and in early 2009. Federal officials told the companies proprietary information had been flowing out, including, to computers overseas, a source familiar with the attacks say and documents show. The data includes email passwords, messages, and other information tied to executives with access to proprietary exploration and discovery information. While China's involvement in the attacks is far from certain, at least some data was detected flowing from one oil company computer to a computer in China. Documents indicate another oil company's security personnel privately referred to the breaches in one of the documents as China virus. Quote, what these guys, corporate officials, don't realize because nobody tells them, is that the major foreign intelligence agency has taken control of major portions of their network, says a source familiar to the attacks. You can't get rid of this attacker very easily. It doesn't work like a normal virus. We've never seen anything this clever. This is tenacious. Is that what happened in this situation? Could be. Let's check out the details of what really happened with the Colonial Pipeline shutdown. So this is the article from the UK Daily Mail. Pumps run dry on day five of Colonial Pipeline cyber attack. Cars line up outside stations across south and across the south, and American Airlines is forced to add refuel stops to long haul flights as gas prices near seven-year high. The FBI has confirmed that Darkside, a Russian hacking outfit made up of ransomware veterans, was responsible for the attack on the Colonial Pipeline. 
The pipeline, which runs from Texas to New Jersey, transports 45% of the East Coast fuel supply, and it was hacked five days ago. Colonial said it was working to substantially resume operations by the end of the week, but reports of gas shortages are already emerging along the East Coast, which we're hitting them today. Gas stations in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Virginia have shortages. The pipeline also serves Atlanta's airport, the world's busiest, by passengers. American Airlines is adding stops in two long-haul routes from Charlotte, North Carolina. American Automobile Association is predicting gas prices will only surge as a result of the shutdown after the average price jumped $0.06 to $2.98. An increase of three more cents would make the national average the most expensive since when? November 2014. It's almost like the Trump administration never happened. So here's the article I was talking about from from Reuters about Venezuela. Now remember, here's the backstory on Venezuela. In the late 90s going into 2000, if you remember Hugo Chavez, Mr. Communist of Venezuela, Everybody looked up to him. They praised him. The UN thought he was the greatest thing. I think uh, he was slamming George W. Bush at the UN uh, during some of the speeches he gave. I think it was around. I can't remember if he was the one that said it smelled like sulfur in the UN chamber because George W. Bush came in there recently. He's the guy who said when New York was running into natural gas shortages, he was just going to give out gas because he's that nice kind of guy. Yeah, it was all a ruse because at the time oil prices were low and they nationalized the gas industry. Government took over the means of production of oil and gas refining or refining. And so during that time, money made hand over fist. But that money was going to kickbacks to the regime, going to pet projects. They weren't updating their infrastructure for oil refining to the point where when the oil prices shot through the roof, the Venezuelan economy collapsed, and then they were having to import gasoline and oil. They were seated on a mountain of gold, a mountain of crude that they could turn into profits They could turn into fueling their own energy independence and they weren't able to even access it because they squandered all that. And that's why energy independence, which we had under Trump, it was doing great. Anything that was happening over in Saudi Arabia and what have you was not affecting us. We were fracking. We had the pipeline rolling. You know, that energy independence was taken away. But check out what Reuters uh, talked about with Venezuela. Venezuela needs $58 billion to restore crude output levels to 1998 levels from a document that was uncovered. Venezuelan state oil company PDVSA would need $58 billion in investments to revive its crude production to the levels of 1998 before ex-president Hugo Chavez came to power, equivalent to 3.4 million barrels a day, a document seen by Reuters show. In February 2021, the document entitled Investment Opportunities, Petrolas de Venezuela, that's PDVSA, the name of the company, planning and engineering division said it was seeking capital investment from Venezuelan and foreign partners, mostly to recover and upgrade oil production infrastructure under 
new business models. Take that in. Socialism was the government and the means of production being run by the government. They nationalized it. They squandered the money. They couldn't keep up with, uh, with refining, uh, refining the oil because they squandered it and didn't put it back into its investments like a private company would. And now they need foreign investments. They need investments from other businesses. They need maybe other governments, which opens the door for shady foreign actors like China and Iran and what have you to intervene. So there's a national security interest there and, and a possible national security, uh, you know, leveraging point for a foreign actor that isn't pro West. They can capitalize on this, but ultimately under a new business model, Venezuela needs other capital. Hmm. The main new partnership model PDVSA detailed in a document was the use of production services agreement. Under these details, contractors would finance 100% of the operations in the oil fields and return in return would receive a portion of the project's free cash flow as a payment. It's almost like the China model, you know, have the businesses come in. The government still has stake in the ownership and then Venezuela gets a little kickback off of the efficiency and the uh, output of something a private industry is making happen. The Venezuelan state would remain the full owner of the fields and the associated infrastructure. See how that works? That is the Chinese model. That is what we're dealing with with these companies in America, like Disney and Coca-Cola, who are saying, well, we need to push critical race theory because China thinks that we're, you know, evil and our human rights towards African Americans and what have you are, are bad, but yet they're going to financially support Coca-Cola and Disney and what have you and allow them to decide for these companies to boycott America as opposed to American consumers boycotting them over their affiliations with China. That's a whole other story. The crisis-stricken South American nation produced just 578,000 barrels of crude oil in March, according to figures the country provided to OPEC. Well below the 2021 goal set in the document of 1.28 million. The proposal comes as Nicolas Maduro is seeking to mend ties with the private sector to attract investment to rebuild the OPEC nation's collapsing economy in a reversal of tightening state control under Chavez's socialist model. Venezuelan oil industries. Three top goals, according to the document, is to stabilize and recover crude and gas output, restore reliability, safety, and quantity and quality of operations, and fully supply the domestic market with fuel. Washington imposed sanctions on PDVSA in a bid to oust Maduro, whom it brands as a dictator. Venezuela's socialist government has accused the United States of seeking to control its oil resources. A toughening of sanctions in 2019 under the uh, presidential uh, administration of Donald Trump complicated the company's ability to attract investment, given the risk that its partners could themselves be blacklisted. In addition, even state-owned companies from countries that are staunch Maduro allies like Russia and China are wary of boosting cooperation with PDVSA after years of corruption and operational inefficiency, blurred projects and lofty goals. 
In total, PDVSA identified a total of 152 opportunities requiring $77.6 billion in investment, including crude and gas production, midstream operations such as transport and storage and refining and commercialization operations. The lion's share of the required investment, or over $69 billion, would go to crude and gas production infrastructure. Of that, $58 billion is needed to return crude output from joint ventures, that's government and private corporation ventures, which China loves, by the way, that's the Chinese model, and PDVSA's own oil fields, this would put it back to the 1998 levels, while another $11.3 billion would go to onshore and offshore gas fields. PDVSA also estimated that $7.65 billion is needed for reviving pipelines, projects for gas injection in oil fields, terminals, and refineries that are idled and underperforming due to lack of maintenance. Neither PDVSA nor Venezuela's oil ministry replied to request for comment. Venezuela is home to some of the largest crude reserves on the earth, but its oil industry is operating well below capacity after years of underinvestment. See what I was talking about? So the Maduro government is needing to reach out to private organizations. We, as a country, should have allowed private organizations to continue with Keystone Pipeline and the Dakota Pipeline. And in now doing so, we're hamstringing ourselves and we're trying to move everyone away from any sort of crude production to lithium batteries, which basically takes our independence away, takes our alliance with Saudi Arabia and some of the oil rich uh, Middle Eastern countries that we have created uh, alliances with, takes that away. And who becomes the big energy sector? China, over lithium batteries and electric vehicles. The private industry, if it acts on private interest, if it acts on the interest of its, of its owners and those it wants to serve as far as customers go, it can operate fully well. The problem is we start allowing partnerships with government entities and then they scratch each other's backs. And then when it wants to be weaponized, the private industry can be weaponized against the citizenry where the government cannot step over those bounds. That's the dangerous joint venture part that we're running into. That's what Venezuela is trying to do. But obviously when you boil down the concepts of socialism, Venezuela is wanting private intervention into their oil production. And that's going to be the only way out of this. And so I think if we looked at where the government is needed, protection of its citizenry from foreign invaders, whether it's military attacks, whether it's uh, IT, information technology, weaponization, uh, weaponization from hacking. Those things can all go into play over the protection of its citizenry. Then a private business like Colonial Oil can operate uninterrupted and provide efficient gas production. But when you, you know, allow that to be vulnerable, you basically try to weaponize the situation for your own uh, Green New Deal ventures, you know, allowing the hacking to occur so that you can turn around and say, see, you should have been driving an electric car. 
when the electric car batteries are being made by China. And John Kerry, listen to this. John Kerry talked about solar panels being made by Uyghurs. Lincoln and Pompeo both said that the CCP is committing genocide against the Uyghur Muslim population. Last month, this committee uh, marked up uh, a bill I introduced along with uh, Chairman Meeks condemning this genocide. You recently said that uh, uh, we're quoted saying we have other differences on human rights, but those that should not get in the way of something that is critical as dealing with climate. And I know you can try to compartmentalize it. The problem is it's, it's, it's intertwined because when you look at the supply chain and you look at China, they dominate the cr- critical mineral supply and solar supply chains all coming out of the Xinjiang province, which um, we believe is using slave labor to create these renewable energy sources. So my question to you is, um, how can you assure us or ensure that, that, that this uh, quest that we're on, uh, that, that slave labor coming out of China, where genocide is taking place as we speak, are never a part of the climate solution in the United States? Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, Ranking Member McCall, you're, uh, it is a problem. Xinjiang province not only produces some of the solar panels that we believe are being, in some cases, produced in forced labor by Uyghurs, but also um, uh, there are a significant amount of uh, uh, rare earth mineral that's used in the solar panels themselves. Uh, it is my understanding that the Biden administration is right now in the process of assessing whether or not that will be the target of sanctions. Um, I've heard some discussion about it. I'm not privy to where that decision is at this point in time. Yeah, slave labor is what is powering solar panels. We talked about this in the past, and China is using the slave labor so that they can make these items for cheap, for the cheap. <laughs> under what the market would demand because they wouldn't be able to pay employees to do this while we sit around and praise socialism and attack capitalism while we let capitalism weaponize itself with government socialist organizations like Venezuela who can't even produce their own crude. It's a mess. We have to define capitalism in its place and that governments should not be stepping in and vice versa. That's the only way that we can maintain a free economy, a free market economy, and a republic if the government sticks to what the government's supposed to be assigned to do by the consent of us. They're supposed to take care of national defense and then some small things that we assign to it that, you know, uh, postal service, which actually now that can actually be done through US, uh, UPS and FedEx and what have you. But, you know, certain things that would fall into monopolistic territory, uh, we as a people will unite together and say we will allow a group of people that, are repre- that we put into office that will represent us will be able to act on our behalf. That's how all this is supposed to operate. But we blurred those lines and we're now seeing that government is going to have to reach out to private industry to fix their failings, but then they're asking for, you know, a little kickback in return. I'm Adrian Slate. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, iHeart, uh, Overcast. You can also get it on the Roku streaming device. Check it out on 
Roku, search Adrian Slade Show. Uh, call us and leave a message, 1-929-GO-GO-USA. And you can also donate to the show, Adrian Slade. Actually, go to anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade slash support. We'll see you guys next time.